there is something that's incomprehensible or something that is so overwhelmingly real and present to us when we engage God. I mean, it's, it's, I just want you to understand the real struggle it is to um, adequately communicate, uh, for me, the gospel to you. It's so beautiful. This morning, we're going to finish up our series called uh, uh, Power to Change. And uh, it's kind of rooted in the, the idea as we begin 2012, we have this opportunity to do things differently. And I don't know if you've taken advantage of that yet, but I would say that as children of God, as people whom Jesus died for, and as people from whom Jesus said, I'm going to heaven to send my counselor back to give you advice about life, that we have such a profound ability to change. And I'm convinced that as much as we talked that first week about transforming our minds, as much as we stay trapped in a, in a, a, a world-driven mentality, we can't do that. But as much as we're free to follow Jesus, to be obedient, we can. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, is following the leader. Following the leader. I don't know if you were like me when you were a, a small kid. Do, do, and I'm glad the Blast Kids got to stay today. I'm not, I'm not sure y'all are so glad. But, you know, do you, guys, do you guys still, like, ride bikes and stuff? Do you still ride bikes? Yeah? I don't know. The video games. Do you, Jonathan, do you still ride bikes? Yeah? You have a bike? I mean, because, you know, maybe they're, like, out of fashion now. The two wheels and the pedaling, the handlebars. The, I, I think if they had a bike that had, like, an Xbox controller, they'd be really, they would be good at that. <laughs> By the way, I think that's a generational thing. They, they make games that make you feel incompetent when you get older. Just, I remember whenever I was a, a child of the Atari generation, I remember I had that one knob and the button, and I was, like, kicking my parents' butt. I'm like, yeah, take that. And they're like, how does this thing work? And then my kids have me those, like, 19-button and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, did, did you ever did you ride bikes when you were a kid? Do you still do that? You know, I think the rules have changed a little bit. I know how we parent is different to whenever I was a kid. But whenever I was a kid, the way you would ride bikes is you would get home, you would do your homework, you'd eat a snack, and you would leave. That's how it worked. As a matter of fact, my favorite thing was my mom would say, uh, actually, she didn't have to stay after walks. I knew it. She would say, be home when the... What? One more time. Yeah, that's right. Your mom was more articulate than my mom. <laughs> my mom would say, be home when the lights are on. <laughs> I knew what that meant, yeah. Be home when the sun's down. Be home when the lights are on. And you would watch. You would be like every last minute. One of my favorite things to do, though, when we were kids is we, would just, we were just like a holy terror in our neighborhood, you know, because we were boys. That's what you do, right? And, and you forget that when you're a parent. You're like, what are you boys doing? And you realize, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's what you do. But we would go out, and we would ride our bikes around. And I wrote an article about this for the Highland News Leader about a year and a half ago. It was such a profound memory that um, I remember so clearly that there was like about six of us who rode our bikes everywhere together. And invariably, there was a kid who was better at riding bikes. And then there was a kid who was like the worst in the group riding bikes. That wasn't me, but it was close. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> and, but you know the great lesson in life that came from that? When I was following a friend who was better than me, I, I would just do what they did. Did you ever play follow the leader on your bike? It's, so like this is the way it went down in my neighborhood. We had like these kind of pseudo sidewalks, you know, like uh, they would just kind of pave stuff and call it a sidewalk. Or, you know, we would have like, um, you know, dirt, cloth, you know, whatever. Dirt. I remember one time we had a six-foot dirt hill. A six-foot dirt hill at the bottom of a street that ran downhill. And all I got to say is whoever dumped that there, what were they thinking? You know? We rode over that thing so many times that there was like a path worn over it. Right? 
But we would literally just be like, follow the leader. And whoever was the fastest would go in the front. And all the rest of us would keep up. I remember this one dude, Del Hooker, right? He was they right in front of me. All, and he had his MX in the back of his seat. It said MX. I don't know what it meant. That's what it said. And I would just I would be like viciously following him. like, Arr! And the rest of us would be kind of jockeying for position behind him. But he was always in the lead. He'd go off the curb like that. And we'd go off the curb like that. You know what I mean? I'd go off the curb like that, you know? Uh, you know what I mean? But you would be hanging on. But you'd be pushing yourself. You'd be... You'd be trying harder. You'd be, you'd be living on the edge. I remember one of them, the kids got an Evil Knievel bike. There you go. There's a generational call. Evil Knievel. He was a stunt man before uh, uh, the donkeys were around, okay? Um, yeah, good job. Wild, wild boys. Thank you, Sarah, for making the connection there. You know, the, these, young, these young daredevils are out now, you know, they jump out of airplanes and stuff. Well, back in the day, it was one crazy guy with a Harley Davidson, and, uh, and he wore a cape and stuff. So anyway... That's the way you're supposed to do it. But he had an evil Knievel bike, and I'd follow him. And, and what really profoundly struck me as I began to be challenged as a follower of Jesus is I'd feel like, I just can't keep up. I just can't keep up. And I felt this, this discernment that God is saying, just follow me. Just follow me. Now, I've just told you a whole bunch about the way I rode bikes, and it didn't always go well, you know. But I had the opportunity to try. Sometimes I would just wipe out big time. Sometimes I would think, my favorite, by the way, is you would watch your friends jump, you know, you would jump and you would say, here's my dirt mark, here it is, and you're just like 60 feet, you know, this is where I landed, and they're like, you didn't land there, and you get off your bike and watch your friends, and you thought they jumped so good, and they would get like that much air, <laughs> you know, like it was just nothing, we weren't really doing anything, but as a kid, you felt like, I'm doing it. Sometimes that's how it is with God, as we follow him, as we follow the leader, we are called to follow Jesus with that same reckless abandon. Jesus said, if you don't come as a child into my kingdom, you're not going to enter. That's kind of crazy. I mean, he's saying, like, if you don't just follow me, just try it, just do it. And today we're going to talk about that need to follow Jesus and stop making excuses for why we can't do that. This applies to everybody. Everybody. Jesus reminded us earlier the value of our life and what he's paid, that we could have true life. Check this out. So the first thing I want to talk about today is that Jesus is our example for how we can change. Jesus is the example for how we can change. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. John is the fourth Gospel, and um, it's in the New Testament, and if you, it's on page uh, 748, if you're using one of our Bibles. I'd encourage you to open it. I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of, out of this passage for you. I'm going to start in verse uh, 15 here. Actually, I'm going to back up. I'm going to, start, I'm going to start in verse like 12 and a half just to be, okay? This is what Jesus says. Do you understand what I have just done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. You see, he's teacher and Lord. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And, and this place... Jesus is always an example. We say that Jesus leads us by example. But the truth is that here he directly says, I did this so that you would see how it can be done. 
you would see that this can be done. Now, this particular thing comes in the middle of Jesus washing people's feet. Washing people's feet was like something that, you know, like servants did that. No, no leader did. That was disgraceful. It was dishonoring. But Jesus came as much to change things as anything. Let me say that again. That's not quite right. You see, Jesus didn't come to change the rules. He came to teach us what the rules actually meant. His constant rebuke of religious people is saying, you think you know how it works, but you've got it wrong. This is what it means to follow God. This is what it means to have a heart that God has, to love like God loves. And here in this, um, this time of washing the disciples' feet, he teaches by example I want you to see, and this is a big thing to me, I, I hear this all the time about the church. You know, the church is just full of hypocrites. You're just a hypocrite. You're not real. You're not authentic. I want to tell you something, that Jesus Christ was as real as they come. Now, you might go, well, yeah, that, okay, I know. It's church. We have to listen. There was no hypocrisy in Jesus. There was no pretending in Jesus. That means whenever he stooped down and he began to wash feet and, and, and put, you know, just take care of them. Somebody told me recently they went to a, a, a gathering where they collected socks and wash and towels. Socks and towels for homeless people. I'm thinking, well, what do you bring socks and towels to homeless people for? You know why you bring them? To wash their feet. Right? There are churches that do that ministry to go and wash people's feet. Jesus wasn't pretending. He wasn't like, okay, I'm going to show you one time. He was like, this is the way I love. This is the way that I am. You know, Greenville College, some of you guys are from Greenville College here today. If you go up to their circle there, the circle drive thing, there's a statue of Jesus. And you know the statue of Jesus doesn't have Jesus like, I would like to see him like Superman, like that. It doesn't even have Jesus like that. It has Jesus like bowed down low doesn't it? What kind of a leader does that? I mean, is he serious? Is that what we're called to do, to change? Jesus said to his disciples who followed him when they asked him, can we set your right hand or your left? He said to them, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. On your knees. Washing feet. Now, don't get hung up on washing feet. Now, some of you are thinking, I ain't washing nobody's feet. I want to say that it's what God is calling you to do. It's, if you think it's all about washing feet, you're missing the point. It's, it's showing love in a way that the world would say, you can't love that person like that. You, you can't reach out in that way. The crazier part about this passage of Scripture is that Jesus says, I set you an example. I'm down with that. Because I just like to hold Jesus like, Jesus is the bar setter. That's so high, I can't do that. So I'm, but good job, Jesus. I'm glad you're on my side, you know. The second half of that verse is this. I set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. You see, he didn't just say, there's the bar. Look at how good I am. He said, there's the bar, hit it. There's the bar. Do it. There's the bar. I'm serious. This is the call to be a disciple of mine. Do what I do. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters but through me. Jesus says, there it is. Hit it. Do it. I set an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
And then I want to wrap up on this first thing here, because this is what he says. He says, you're not greater than me. You're just going to do what I did. And that's cool. I'm, I'm like, yes, because I see Jesus like taillights. I see Jesus' taillights. He's so far ahead of me. I don't know how I can do that. And then he reminds us, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessed is a great word, right? Sometimes you say, how you doing? And then somebody else say, I'm blessed, right? But blessed also translates as happy, Right? Who would think that the way out of a miserable life would be washing someone else's feet? That's what Jesus said. Now you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I would encourage, we're going to talk about, well, how do we see what Jesus did besides washing the feet? Because, you know, we've, I tell you what, we did a foot washing service in another church I was part of, and we had people get up and leave. They just left, right? Because it was too weird. And they're not doing that. And I'm not suggesting that we do that, but I'm asking, how do we even know the examples that Jesus set for us? If he is the example, he set an example, how do we know what we should do? Here we go. Second thing we're going to talk about is that um, God's word shows us how we must change. Now, we said that a couple times today, God's word. You know, that's kind of a, a play on words, pardon the pun, because um, J- the gospel of John actually says that the logos became flesh. The word became flesh, right? But when I say God's word here, I mean, I mean scripture. I mean the Holy Bible. There is no other book like it. We don't worship it, but it's the revelation of God to us. It's been handed down from generation to generation. There's been a lot of controversies and stuff about it. But this is a different book. And at the very least, if you want to know, well, how should I change? How should I be different? You've got to read how Jesus was different. I mean, can you imagine if you were leading a group? I don't know what it would be, like some kind of a... Um, civic organization or some kind of a club or some kind of a a circle of friends. Imagine if you were out in public. Imagine. And someone was walking down the street, two people, and you're with your group. And one of those two people said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm with them. And you heard that, and you didn't know who they were. What would you say if you were leading your little civic organization? I don't know them. I don't know who they are. And many times as we follow Jesus, that's exactly what we do. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, I'm, I'm with him. Yep, he's over there. You know what I mean? And we have no understanding that to be following Jesus, we have to be after him, with him, pursuing him. This is why the criticism of the church falls short. The church is full of hypocrites. Granted, there are times we're screwing up all the time, right? We're human. But the standard is not how the church is doing. The standard is how Jesus is doing, and Jesus is a perfect leader. And so you have no excuse for not pursuing Jesus in your life. There's no, like, catch, you know, it's nobody else's fault because Jesus is ahead of you. He's ahead of me. He's ahead of all of us. And we can all pursue him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Here's the trouble. You see, following Jesus like that will change your life. It will change your life. This morning's passage comes from the book of James. I want you to turn there. James is interesting because James is the half-brother of Jesus. Let me explain that, right? Jesus was raised in the house with James. James was born of Mary and Joseph. You know, James would have been raised in the house where Jesus was always a special kid. And he really was a special kid. You know what I mean? 
I mean, James is the guy who writes a book later reluctantly. The, the Gospels say that James doesn't come to believe in Jesus until after he is dead and raised. Whenever Jesus was walking the earth, James went out with his mom and tried to bring his crazy brother back home. That's the guy that wrote this book. This is what James writes to us in chapter 1, verse 22. James says this to the people of God. What a great epistle, by the way. You can read this whole thing in like a few hours. I mean, I would encourage you to read the book of James. It's amazing. This is what God's word says here. Do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently on the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but actually doing it, here it is again, he will be blessed in what he does. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Don't just hear the word preached and think you've done anything. Don't, don't just agree mentally, yes, 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 I've got all the, I understand the answers I need to give next time somebody from church asks me a question. No. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. That's a different thing, isn't it? And some of you are probably thinking, well, I don't know, you know, I'm not one of those churchy people. I don't think that holds true for me. I don't think I have to do that, you know. Me and Jesus have an understanding. My question is, are we really serious about following him? Are we really serious about wanting change? I love that the, the verse says, uh, you deceive yourself if you hear only and do nothing. You, 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 you deceive no one in the world that's where we get the issue of hypocrisy. Hypocrites, yes. Because we only deceive ourselves. We hear it, we go home, and nothing changes. And then we wonder, why? And we pray, God change everything. And then God, you know, <laughs> reveals truth to us, and we hear it, and we go home, and we do nothing. James says it like this. James says, if you're the kind of person that comes and hears the word, and then goes home and does nothing. You're like a person who came up and looked in the mirror. You know, what's really cool about this is um, the idea of looking in the mirror. It means to see the one that God made. The word in the Bible here is Genesis. It says when you see your face, it's the Genesis, the creation face. This is saying that the one who made you knows you. The one who wrote the word of God, the Bible, knows you. Sometimes I have people say to me, man, I read this passage of scripture, and it was like it was right at me. Guess what? It's right at you. <laughs> it's right at me too. But this is what James says. A man who hears, but goes away and forgets what he looks like, is deceiving himself. Deceiving himself. Do you do that? Do you see yourself rightly in the mirror? Do you, do you examine? Let's look at what the word says. Look with me, if you will. It says, do not merely listen, but do what it says. Here it is. 
23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks himself in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he has seen. Right? You ever had that experience in church? You, you, you get there and you hear something, you're like, yeah, I got to do something about that. And you walk out and you're like, whew, that's over. You know, pressure's off. Listen, he says, that's the one who's deceiving themselves in 21 man. But a man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but actually doing it, he will be happy. This morning I, I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this with me. Nobody said anything. Yeah, I got to tell you a story. That seems random, but it's not. All right, yesterday, the other day, we were out, we were setting up the screens for the pregnancy care center thing. This is embarrassing. This is one of those stories Chris would be like, why are you telling that story? But it's about me, so I think I'm okay with it. Uh, I, was, I was setting up screens with um, a few of the guys from church, and I won't name names because uh, I was sitting there, and I walked up, and I was just talking to the guys, and I realized, whew, my zipper's down. That's a true story. One of the guys, you know what he said? I saw that. I just didn't want to say anything. Like, dude, if you've seen it, help a brother out. You know, what was that thing you used to say? Z-B-Y-Z. Well, I don't know what that even was. I'll just say, your zipper's down, dude. You know, give, give a hug. Hey, what's up, brother? Your zipper's down. You know what I mean? It's not weird. I was like, you know, we're walking around. We're doing this pregnancy care center thing. We're all excited. And I got my zipper down. Yeah. Sometimes... No one else is going to tell us the truth, but here's the deal, right? God's word always tells us the truth. He's like, your zipper's down. This morning, I was looking, you see, and I, I realized, have you ever had that where you shave and you miss a spot? This morning, I missed a spot. I missed a spot right there. And, and uh, a, a few, I think a few of you noticed, because I was watching when I was talking to you, and your eye would kind of snap over and snap back. Like, oh. <laughs> Nobody told me. But if I look long and hard enough, I can see it right there. That's annoying. <laughs> Goes all day where you missed a spot. But you know what? I can, I can put this mirror down and walk away and I can forget about it. That's not what James says, though. You know what James says? He says, if you look intently at the Word of God, the idea is being bent over, stooped. It means to get low, to examine the Word. This is serious, church, because many of us, we leave our Bibles at home. You know, we don't even take them with us. But James says, if we look intently at the Word of God and we go away and don't do anything, what's the point? It'd be like if I just saw this and then I forgot I missed a spot. I'm going to have to come over here where the light's better. That's what the Word means. It means to do something about it. We hear all the time things are happening in our families, things are happening in the world, things that we need to do, and we go, man, that's a mess. What am I gonna? James says, you gotta do something about it. Right? Jesus says a crazy thing in Scripture. He says, be perfect like I am perfect. What? I say, Jesus, you don't know me. I ain't even close. Do something about it. He says, husbands, love your wives as I have loved the church. I say, what? He says, do something about it. So if we're to be the men of God, the women of God, when we see something that needs to be changed, we have to change it. Isn't that right? I mean, what would be the point? That God would show us something, we would do nothing about it. 
And then we go home and we pray, God, I wish you'd show me what was wrong. I wish I know how I could be happier. The word says if we look intently into the scriptures and we do what it says, not forgetting what we have heard, but actually doing it. Do you hear the redundancy? He will be happy, happy in what he does. When we see the truth of who we are. Now, this goes both ways. We started talking today about the sanctity of human life, and I want to share something with you. This goes both ways, you see, because we always think, I don't want to read the Bible because it's going to be hard. It's going to teach me hard things. That's true. Because you're going to read the Word, and you're going to be convicted. Man, I am not doing that right. That is not good. But I got good news. Scripture has as many things to say about who you actually are that are affirming as there are conviction for our sinfulness. We are sinfulness, like born sinners, a mess. But you know, the word says things like, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know if you don't examine God's word, you may never know that promise is in there? You know, when we follow Jesus, we get all frantic. What are we going to do? The world's coming to an end. How are we going to survive? And Paul writes and he says, neither height nor depth, right? Nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities and powers, nor nothing in heaven or on earth can separate us from what? The love of God. Nothing. You don't know that if you don't intensely examine the word of God, if you don't spend time in your life looking at it. I mean, it's so important, church, that we understand and apply the principles. It goes both ways. One of the jobs you have as an ambassador of Jesus Christ is to affirm the value you see in other people around you. When you hear them saying things like, I'm worthless, I have no purpose, I don't know why I'm even here, your job as a, as a, a, um, a minister of the gospel is to affirm their image, you know, their creation value. You don't know that if you don't engage intently in scriptures. You don't know that God loves the aliens, not aliens, as much as his people. Too often we think we're in the special club, you see, and we're not even close to where Jesus is. So I would challenge you, live your life and examine scripture. Make Jesus your example for how you want to be. If you want to be changed, look at Jesus. Apply the promises of Scripture to your life. Do you dare to see the truth that the Scripture says about you? Do you dare to recognize that Scriptures say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Do you dare to understand that your gospel of, if I only do enough good stuff, God's going to be okay with me? Do you dare believe that the gospel that you preach might be the only one that anyone else hears? It might be their only chance to hear it. I'm not sure that we're ready for that. But that's the example he gives us. The third point that we have this morning is this. We must practice now, what's funny is, I wrote, we must practice what we preach. We must practice what we preach. But I can tell you that there are some things that I go, oh, I preach it, and I'm like, I ain't doing that. And I'm sure there's some things in your life that you tell your kids, do it this way. Kids say, you don't even do that. <laughs> Here's a better way to say that. 
We must practice what he teach. Don't, don't, you know, because we say all kind of crazy things. I can tell you whatever, what kind of, you know, car you should drive, what kind of computer you should buy, what kind of, I can tell you, but it wouldn't mean anything. It's not from God. But we should practice what Jesus teaches. I want you to say it with me. We must practice what he teach. Say that. We must practice what he teach. That sound weird. What do you like? You flunk out of fourth grade? Yeah. We must practice what he teach. Why? It's active, present, now, in your life, for real. It's not like an old book that doesn't matter. Jesus is right now beckoning you by the power of his spirit, saying, draw near to me. See what I have for you. Believe in the promises that I have made, and you will have happiness. You will be blessed. You'll be blessed. We must practice what Jesus taught. Check it out. This is our uh, final verse. It's going to come from the Gospel of Matthew the Gospel of Matthew. The cool thing is if you're reading the red letter Bible, you'll see these are red letters. That's a kind of a big deal. I'm going to read you a little story that Jesus told after he gave his greatest sermon. Jesus gave the greatest sermon of all time, and it's contained in the two chapters, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, 7, 5 through 7. Greatest sermon ever, and this is how he wraps it up. This is his final words. Verse 24, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone, look at the word, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It's telling, isn't it, that after Jesus the very, uh, you know, God incarnate, the God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the only person to live perfectly, preached a sermon, and at the end of it, he said, the wise man is the one who hears and practices what I have taught. Do you, do you look at the story. Do you see any other difference there? The rain is the same. The streams are the same. The wind is the same. The guys are the same except for one thing. The wise man practiced it, and the fool did not. Right? We have to practice what Jesus taught. And, and, and that's the way he, he wraps it up, that that's the only difference maker. I want to show you that right above that passage of Scripture, it says... In verse 22, Jesus' words in his sermon, many will come to me on that day, that's the final day, day of judgment, and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. Like that's one of those verses that just always forces me to reorient my hypocrisy and my false belief toward the God who is leading me. Because I don't want to be the guy across the way saying, I'm with Jesus. I want to be the guy in that circle going, I know his voice. I know him. And that's a different thing. As we seek to follow Jesus together, this is what we're called to do. So here we go. How do we do that? How do we do it? I've given you some things. You have to intently look at the word of God. You have to be serious about the example Jesus set, and you have to be serious about following yourself. It's nobody else's fault. It's it's not your friend's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's your responsibility to follow Jesus. So the question is, are we practicing with God? Don't you love that Jesus said the word here, practice? You know, he just said, try. Hit it. Go for it. You jump like that high. And it feels amazing. You're like, whoa, that was awesome. And Jesus like, I have bigger things. Hit it again. Practice. Practice. Well, Lord, I went one time and I tried to tell the truth about something and it just didn't go well. Try again. You know what I mean? Don't, don't quit. Practice again and again and again. This is how we become experts at something. We continually engage God's word. We go back to the drawing board. We listen intently to what he is saying to us, and then we try and try again, and we continually pursue him each day. Our goal is to be changed, not left the same. So one caveat has to be made clear. And we probably need to spend some time talking about this as a church. But many churches do a good job preaching the gospel of salvation. That's what we do. It means that Christ died to save you, and you did nothing to earn it. That's what the scriptures say. So that no one of you could boast, look at what I've accomplished. But Jesus saved us. But on the backside of the cross of Christ, there's this idea. It's called sanctification in church life. And that means that as followers of Jesus, we're growing every day. We're getting better every day. We're trying it. We're practicing it. And even when we screw it up, we're trying it again because we're being obedient to his word. This is our call. And so I want to make that very clear, is that Jesus said, whosoever will believe will be given eternal life. That's salvation. But this is the life in Jesus that's so much better than anything else. And that is what I'm after, and I hope that's what you're after as well. So I'm going to ask a question as we wrap up, and it's just this. Do you practice what Jesus preached? I mean, do you even know how? Some ways we try to do that as a church, we have small groups, family groups, where we study the word together. You can have breakfast with some people and talk about it for real, you know? You can just call people or text them, I'm struggling with this issue. Practice together. Don't judge one another. And, and we can learn by looking at God's word. You can do it through getting the word daily, you know? There's all kinds of ways you can get the, you can engage in reading scripture. I would challenge you to do that. Make it part of your routine. 
And of course, we can pray and ask God to show us. But when he shows us, we've got to respond. We've got to do what he's showing us that we need to do. So today I'm going to pray a closing prayer. We're going to have a final song. But I'm going to invite you to consider how well you're practicing today. Following the leader. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, we come into this house, the house that you said is your father's house, the house that you said is not a den of robbers, but is a house of prayer. And I pray that today, Father, we would have your sense of your spirit's presence, that in those areas of our life where we just feel that your word just cutting deep right there, that we would not walk away unchanged, but we would say, what must we do? And then by your grace, be obedient to that. Father, you are a God who is constantly showing us who we are and, and uh, who we need. And Father, I pray that we would just cling to that today, that we would know that your gospel has covered our sin, and yet we're called to be obedient followers of yours. Help us do that today. For the areas of our life we think it's not possible, I pray that we would put that away. We would stop giving it over to the enemy and we would just say, this is possible because Jesus is leading me here. And may we be faithful followers pursuing you with reckless abandon, Lord, knowing that if you say we can do it, we can do it. We love you so much. We thank you for your word that just encourages and exhorts us. We thank you for the fellowship with fellow believers who can tell us the truth about where we are. Pray that today we respond to the gospel and to your call for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.